You can hardly have failed to notice that all the obstacles to the implementation of an imaginative, innovative education system that were mentioned in episode 19 were very education-specific. And you may have thought that there are, in addition, many further considerations that militate against being very imaginative or changing very much. In other words, that the system as a whole operates to encourage a particular kind of conservatism with a small c. You would, of course, be right. Let's think about some of those factors, because they are important. Well, first of all, we have traditions. We just have ways of thinking about what is to be understood as the way education works and what the successes or otherwise that it leads to might look like. We have institutions that are based upon similar assumptions about who is a good person to employ, how people should spend their lives, what to do and what to say and how to measure the suitability of individuals for particular positions in employment and elsewhere. We have expectations. We have things called norms that seem to set certain parameters by which to assess individual suitability for all sorts of things. And obviously we, in addition to all of that, have patterns of employment that reflect the way the world has organized itself. And we have patterns of social interaction that reflect the way societies have organized themselves. Add to those language itself, because the language that each culture has developed embodies some of the preferences and predilections and predispositions and, let's be honest, prejudices of those cultures. And so the very language that we use will tend to militate against change. Take a word like experiment or experience, which each of us, when we hear it, will understand in a certain way and that way may not be the way someone such as John Dewey means it. So there will inevitably be a tendency to a sort of retrojection of dragging things back into frames of reference that are defined by the past because it's really quite difficult to re-educate ourselves in understanding words and in understanding trajectories of life and in understanding education and the kinds of things that we really ought to value in a new way because our minds are habituated to old ways of thinking. So these are all bigger forces for conservatism than the rather specific ones that we mentioned in the last episode that apply particularly in the education context itself. And of course, add to all that, and this is something we mentioned, but we didn't put it in quite these terms, add to all that the very proper reluctance of teachers, educators generally, and particularly parents, to subject their children to an experiment that is going to affect 
the one life that they will have. In other words, if you only get one chance to be educated, you should not be taking chances with it as though you were playing a game of Russian roulette. Now, in the last episode, I did say something about this because I think it's a misconception. Experiments don't work in that kind of monolithic way. We all experiment, and indeed we all take risks, all the time. We try things out. We taste things. We sample things. We say, well, I'll have a go at that for a while, and if I don't like it, I'll give it up again. And that's exactly what education should be doing, and it's exactly what a mentored system should be encouraging. Younger children particularly should be exposed to as wide a range of experiences as possible in as wide a range of activities as possible and encouraged to play a word we haven't mentioned very much but will certainly be coming back to, encouraged to play, to imagine, to explore the spaces of possibility open to them in as wide and uh, creative a way as possible. So it's quite clear that the weight of tradition, the weight of the past, the weight of the way we have made sense of the world in so many dimensions will tend to prevent us from being very imaginative about our education. And the key to unlocking this is the realisation that experiments are not monolithic, that experience is not monolithic that we can explore different ways of educating almost on a daily basis until we find ones that work apparently best, or at least as best we can do right now. So I think that the objection that comes from what you might call the anti-experimental lobby is based upon a misconception of how experiments should be done and can be done that experiments in education can give children opportunities to explore all kinds of styles of teaching, all time, kinds of styles of experience, all kinds of ambitions, all kinds of ways of learning, if only we were sufficiently brave and sufficiently determined and sufficiently imaginative to organise our schools in ways that would give children those opportunities. And of course that requires teachers to be imaginative, teachers to be brave, teachers to be flexible and ready to try all sorts of different things rather than trudging through the same predictable, traditional approach to teaching day after day after day. <laughs>